All right, let's get our Bibles going to Luke chapter 2. And by the way, if you didn't come to Catalyst this morning, you missed it. I would encourage you. Catalyst starts at 9. It's 9 to 9.45. It's a deeper dive into the Bible study that we're actually be following. We'll get back to 1 Corinthians at the first of the year, back into our Grow Up series. And I hope that you're growing up because if you don't read your word, you're not praying. And listen, I, I would say if you're not even given to the Lord's work, you're not growing up. You've got to financially invest in what God's given you, and then you'll find out it's a whole lot easier to live on 90% than it is on 100%. Can't explain it until you do it. If you want the blessings of God, you do it God's way, and you get what? God's results. That's in your prayer life, your Bible study, whatever it might be. And even this Christmas story today, as we uh, share, how many times have you heard the Christmas story, the actual true biblical Christmas story? Anybody heard it more than 20 times? More than 30 times? More than 100 times? More than likely, if you've been to a Christmas program over and over again through music and through the Word, you've heard it over and over again. If you're not careful, it becomes old hat. It connects with me just that I know how this works out. I hope that I can show you something today. And we, are, we have uh, borrowed a video this morning I want you to see. It's actually on a Facebook post, another ministry. And it's, uh, we'll show it in just a moment, not right now. Uh, it's from oneisrael.com. You've probably seen some of the commercials where they're working hard to reach the people of Israel with the gospel. And so we'll look at this this morning. But right now, let's look into the, the main gospel uh, here in Luke chapter 2, verse 4. And we, the, the first four verses, are first three verses, really are a sermon of themselves about God's timing. And there's some very interesting things that are coming up right now in the news about the first three verses. So we're going to focus on chapter, uh, verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4. Are you there? Say amen. amen. Let's go. So Joseph also went from... From Galilee, mark it, on your, mark it on your notes, if you take notes. From Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So that's a mouthful to say he's from here and went to there, right? We are from Aiken, South Carolina, and if you travel this uh, holiday season, you, you go to whatever city, county, township, and state, right? Or if you travel out of country, you would list all those things. Someone says, where did you go on your vacation? You would say, well, we left Aiken, South Carolina, or New Ellington, South Carolina, or Beach Island, South Carolina, and we went to, and you would say where it is, right? Aiken City is in what county? So you could probably say that if you live in the city, you're from Aiken City, Aiken County, South Carolina. Is that, is that true? And so if you see where this is coming from, and the title of today's sermon is very clear, the specific good news re- revealed, you're going to see the word specific or specifically multiple times in, in, the, in the sermon today, and in the text, I hope that you see it yourself. All right, this is where they're from, and then we're going to read. He, he went, why did he go? To be registered with Mary, or you're going to see in the notes today, the Hebrew word, her actual text would say Miriam. It's the old uh, Hebrew word, uh, word Miriam, and we use Mary, the, the newer version of the name, but her name was Miriam, his betrothed wife, who was with child, so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn, very important son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And we can continue in just a moment reading the scripture, but I want you to go back and forth in your notes. If you're taking notes, something extremely important about the story. Uh, we sing away in a manger. Many times we mistake the manger, which is a cement food trough and we make them out of wood so this kind of makes for good pictures and and it makes for good props for you can't bring a big old cement block in here and put it up so it'd be in a cement or rock uh hewn out rock is what it would be like 
manger. It had been a, 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 just, a, just a food trough that they could use. Anybody could use it when they come to dump food for their animals there. And so she, when she's, we sing away in a manger, many times we think the stable or the place that they stayed was the manger. So just get it straight. The building structure or whatever the cave that they were in, uh, that was the stable. The manger is specifically that food trough. Uh, it's basically, a, we, if you ever raised hogs, we raised hogs. It was the slop uh, holders. Well, you just dump the slop over into this V that we had, that Dad built. And you just put it there in the food, the pigs would eat it. Same thing for a sheep. You put hay or whatever it might be. And we've so decorated the Christmas scene that we miss it many times. This is the rudimentary. This is the elementary. This is the basics of life that every shepherd would use when they would come to town. So I want you to mark that in your notes. Now go to your notes if you can see this. The good news was delivered specifically to and specifically in the city of David on a specific day. Would you agree with that statement? God, through his prophets, made his specific plans known there in Micah 4, 8 and, and Micah 5, 2. Emmanuel, which means what, church? God with us, specifically visited his people with his specific kingdom purpose. God had a kingdom purpose. His kingdom, his purpose, his plan. And guess when it happened? On his time. Amen? And so when we hear this message, you go, well, is this true? You have to struggle with this verse if you're an unbeliever or a believer. You have to struggle and say, is this really real? Could it possibly be that the God of all creation came to this earth to walk as a man, to be born of a virgin, to, to grow up as a young child into manhood? Could it possibly be true? So if you say, yes, listen, if God, he, he witnesses to your spirit that this is true, then what happens is you say, well, God came to earth to be a God-man, right? 100% God, would you agree with that? 100% man, would you agree with that? So God came from heaven to earth so that he might save his people from their sins. You can read Matthew chapter 1 for yourself. In Matthew 1, it's very clear that this was his purpose. His name shall be called Jesus, Savior, because he's come to save his people from their sins. Now, we know he first came to the Jews, right? Paul even says that, reiterates that in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. First for the Jews and then for the nations or the Gentiles. That word Gentiles. So the purpose was very clear. Matthew 1 tells us he came to save his people from their sins. All right, And the, his people are those people. Obviously first the Jewish nation, but then to the world. And if you've given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, can I tell you something this morning? You're one of his people. Isn't that good news? God's, I'm God's people, right? Isn't that good company to have this morning? That's eternal company that you would have this morning, that you could have if you belong to him. But just as this word is coming from heaven, and that's his name, the word, Logos, in the beginning, John says, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is God. So God comes to earth. God, the Holy Spirit, plants him in Mary's womb, he is born naturally, but though supernaturally. He walks as a natural life, even though he's a supernatural child. Could you imagine being his brother? You can always say, Jesus never does anything wrong, right? Because he couldn't, because he could not sin, because he's God in flesh. Even as they got older, his brothers did not believe in him initially because they lived with him. They could not comprehend the fact that he actually was skin on skin like them, and yet he was perfect. He did no wrong. Well, if this verse tangles you up, then you, you need to stop and have a conversation with God. Turn me off and turn God on because 
if you can't comprehend that God came to earth to save sinners, his people, that's me and you, right? His initial people, Jews, but you and me, if you can't comprehend that, listen, that's the whole gospel, that's the whole good news, that's the purpose of Christmas, Easter, and any other time. Christmas is to be a celebratory time. But I got bad news for you. If you've never given your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ, Christmas is judgment day. When God comes to the earth, he comes on purpose to tell you, I love you so much that I'm going to send myself to you, right? We, in the Bible, it says his only begotten son, meaning that's the way we can understand it. I'm sending myself to you so that you can actually see self, see me live a perfect life, down across on a death I don't deserve for sins that you committed because you were born a sinner and you commit sins. This is the whole point of Christmas, and it's good news for sure. But it was God's specific plan. So I wanted to make sure Emmanuel, that's God with us, specifically visited his people with his specific kingdom purpose. Well, I want you to see this. Joseph and his promised pregnant wife, I put Miriam so you'd know that, Mary, Miriam, same word, his promised wife, right? She was betrothed. It's a word we don't use today in our English. We say they're fiancés or they're engaged, but this was a promise of marriage. You had to actually get divorced from their relationship that had already committed to each other. You stay in different dwellings. You don't live together. You keep yourself pure until marriage, until it's actually the ceremony. So that's why I put it this way. His promise. He made a promise to her. She made a promise to him. Pregnant wife, Miriam or Mary, they traveled some 90 miles from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, to register for their government census because he was a descendant of King David. Right? City of David, and he's a descendant of David. Isn't it specific how God actually puts all the details for you and me to see this? This is Dr. Luke writing this down. Luke is a physician, and he's actually writing down as if you were a good doctor. He, he keeps a good record so that he can look back and see what treatments you've had and what treatments you might possibly need in the future. Here we see the treatment is not a natural one. The treatment here is a supernatural one. Luke is writing down every detail. And that's why I said verses 1, 2, 3, you'll see there's controversy saying, well, Quirinius did not rule at this time. Uh, they forget that, that you can actually rule more than one time, and we won't get into that debate because it's, it's pointless and useless. I believe what the Word of God says. Amen? And then history will figure it out when they come along and find, oh, there's an artifact showing that this ruler actually did, in fact, because they said King David didn't exist for years and years and years. They said he didn't exist. It's just a made-up. It's a made-up story so Israel would have hope. And guess what they found? Tons of artifacts now on, on, about King David. Now, they can't deny it now because of history, because of artifacts they found. Archaeology has found. So when you come into a controversial tight spot in your life, listen, I want to encourage you, stick with the Word of God, right? God's 100% always right. This is our authoritative source for living. Amen? If the God's Word says it, then we follow that and find out you say, well, how do I know what to follow and what not to follow? Well, there is some common sense coming with reading the Bible as well, right? I've told you time and time again, don't just flip it open and say, God, what is your will? And Judas wouldn't hang himself. It's not God's will that you go hang yourself. Don't, don't do that. You have to use some sense, and you've got to think. We talked about anointing with oil in this church and healing. How do you know how to do it? James says do it. He does not say how to do it. There is no record of how to do it. Anointing in the Old Testament. I remember George and I used to have the conversation about anointing. George said, you need to get a bullhorn, and you just need to pour it all over their head. A full horn of oil like David was anointed, right? Let it run down their beard. 
I said, George, I don't believe that's exactly what it means. I, I, I mean, I know that's happened in the Old Testament, but I don't think that's what it means. Because he understood, I understand that the oil represented the Holy Spirit, right? A covering of the Holy Spirit. It's, the oil does not save you. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even tell you what kind of oil to use. But you have to think, it was a Jewish culture. Olive oil would be prevalent. So you had to take a step-by-step process. And in the process, we find, obviously, it'd be something that, what is symbolic for Christianity around the world? The cross. So we dip our fingers. If you ever see us do it, it doesn't happen often. We dip our fingers in the oil, and we make the sign of the cross on the head, uh, representing Jesus Christ. And we pray that God would do a healing that only God can do. We confess our sins to one another first. That's what we're doing up here, if you ever see us. And then, because that's what the Bible says to do. And then we follow what Scripture says. We don't know how to do it. We just do what it says to do and use a little bit of common sense and leading of the Holy Spirit to actually follow what, the, what James would have had around him. He didn't have Slick 50 or Haveline, so we, uh, we don't use that, right? We use olive oils. That's what we use. So I want you to go back to the Scripture, if you would, with me, back to verse 8, and let's look at this. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. That's the second time we see that word swaddling. Swaddling cloth, strips of cloth. You'll see that. Verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Now I'm going to hold right there verse 14, and I want you to see something. Now, again, no credit for this. This comes directly from one for Israel.com, and we're going to show a video if we can get it up. The video is it's, it's from 2020, but I want you to see when you see shepherds keeping watch by their sheep by night, right? Sometimes if you're not careful, you get a Charlie Brown Christmas idea. Or you see predominantly, if you're from uh, uh, America, you'll see, if you're from a predominantly white church, you'll see all white people being shepherds, right? And they have uh, some kind of cotton towel on their head, and they wrap around with banded. We, we've been to katadas, we've been to Christmas programs. You see little kids wearing little clothes. We try to reenact it so we can actually act it out. But if you're not careful, you have no idea what it looked like. It didn't look like a, there was no Christmas tree like this, FYI, right? Uh, it was rudimentary, but when they keep watch by night... What do sheep do at nighttime? Typically sleep unless something's after them, right? And what do shepherds normally do at nighttime? They sleep and some stay awake, right? Who's got the night shift, right? It's like working at the plant somewhere else. You, you work your shift rotation. These shepherds are very specific shepherds. And, and uh, this guy is uh, he, he's, uh, Israeli. He's a Hebrew. So I'm going to let him explain it. Can we get it, Melissa? Let's watch and see this. It's going to be a seven-minute video. This is how much time I'm giving up this morning because I found this to be extremely important. From 2020, uh, this is important for us to see this morning. I hope it opens your mind to see. It was in this field the shepherds received news of the greatest gift ever given to mankind. Most of you know the story of our Messiah's birth over 2,000 years ago. How our Savior, the King of Kings, took on flesh, born of Mary, and laid in a manger. I'm sure this holiday season feels unlike any other we've ever experienced. This year has been full of unexpected challenges and disappointments, uncertainty and loss, 
And as the world remembers and celebrates the birth of our Messiah, I can't help but think of what Mary and Joseph were experiencing in this time. Imagine the stress they faced as the time of Yeshua's birth drew near, already facing social stigma at home, then to get news that they were required by Roman law to travel over 90 miles on foot over mountains and treacherous terrain from the north of Israel to Bethlehem. This was not a simple journey. They were faced with threats of raiders, flash floods, and unpredictable weather. I know how nervous I was when the time came for our first son to be born. Before birth, every mom works tirelessly to prepare way for the baby to have an easy and comfortable entry. Try to imagine bearing the promised Messiah and being thrown into such a devastating turn of events as a pregnant woman. But from our vantage point in history, what seemed to be a disastrous turn for Mary and Joseph worked out to fulfill prophecy and give glory to God. I know there's been times in my life where I couldn't understand why things were happening the way they were, only to look back years later to see God's plan in the midst of my trial. So let's ask ourselves, if the decree from Caesar never occurred, would Mary and Joseph have traveled to Bethlehem? So clearly, this trial turned out to perfectly fulfill prophecy. But why did the Messiah need to be born in Bethlehem? Let's turn to Micah 5.2, which reads, But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from the old, from everlasting. Also in Micah 4.8 we read, In you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. So the future king, the Messiah, will be from not just the town of Bethlehem, but much more specifically Bethlehem Ephrata, the agricultural zone, and Migdal Eder, the tower of the flock. Eusebius, the bishop of Caesarea during the fourth century, wrote in his book, and I quote, Migdal Eder was located one Roman mile east of Bethlehem. And it's here, due east across from the valley of Bethlehem, that we find the ruins of the Tower of the Flock mentioned by Micah. But what was this Tower of the Flock about? And why did the Messiah need to be born in an agricultural zone of Bethlehem? This was the field of David. But much deeper than being David's stomping ground was what David set up here as the king of Israel. As David set his heart to bring the tabernacle to Jerusalem and later make preparations for the temple, he set in order this field to raise the sacrificial flock for the priests. He gave his ancestral land to be dedicated to this special flock the most looked-after field in all of Israel. You can see more of these shepherd's tower here than anywhere else in the world. But why so many towers? Because the shepherds were not raising your average sheep. If a bone was broken or any blemish at all was found, 
the lamb was considered unkosher for sacrifice. They had to perfectly guard these sheep. The shepherds who received the announcement from heaven were the very same ones in charge of the Passover lamb. How amazing that it was these very shepherds that looked after Yeshua that holy night. Our Passover lamb, Yeshua the Messiah, was placed in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes, not just in any random site, not just to show the humble entry of the Messiah to the earth, but to foreshadow the work he was sent to do. Those words in Luke's gospel spoken to the shepherds were bursting forth with deep meaning. According to rabbinic tradition, the priest would come every high holy day from Jerusalem to Migdal Eder, the priestly tower of the flock, to inspect the lamb before the big day. They would place the lamb in a manger, and after inspection, the lamb would be wrapped in swaddling cloth and brought to Jerusalem for the sacrifice. They wrapped the lamb instead of leading it along as to ensure that nothing would happen to the lamb in transit to the temple. If the lamb wriggled out of the priest's hand, that Passover would be ruined. So there was no room for chance. So Yeshua, born in the agricultural center foretold by Micah, because he was to be the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. He was wrapped in the same swaddle and laid in the manger, looked after by the same shepherd that raised and cared for the Passover and atonement sacrifices. We can see this beautiful tapestry of prophecy fulfilled in our time, but I'm sure that in the moment, Mary and Joseph were just trying to make the best of an extremely difficult trial. They probably were struggling with doubt and fear, but God was weaving through their trials a story of redemption and salvation of the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. So my prayer for you is that you see the faithfulness of God in this season, that in this difficult time, God may be writing a beautiful story of redemption through your trials. And I pray you are encouraged with this beautiful story of God's amazing love. Isn't that amazing? Those are the towers there that we read that. So the towers there, Migdal Eder, if you want to do some research on your own, the towers that the shepherds will be watching from over the sheep, and it was the Passover sheep. It was the lambs that would be used for the Passover. And so isn't it amazing those, when it says in the scripture twice, at least twice, uh, the swaddling cloths were there. Mary didn't bring these in a bag with her as they traveled. Uh, they were there to wrap the Passover sheep and uh, the Passover lamb. And John, of course, uh, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. So we understand that the Lamb was to cover or to take away the sins of the people. We know that actually it would cover, the blood would cover the sins of the people. And so God would be, if you will, pleased in the Old Testament way. The New Testament was that the Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, would give his life voluntarily, that his blood would take away your sins. Anyone who gave their heart and life to Jesus Christ asked for forgiveness of their sins would be forgiven. So that's why Mary there, and you see in your notes, she wrapped her firstborn son in specific uh, strips of cloth and laid him in a specific stone manger. That angel there we read about in verse 13 and 12 and 13, I want you to look in your notes if you would, a, spe a specific 
angel assigned by God appeared to a specific to a group of specific shepherds who were keeping watch over their specific flocks uh, during a specific night with specific good news. That's a lot of specific, is it not? But I want you to see our God is a God of specifics. As he talked about in your life, whatever you're going through in your life, does God know about your situation? Does God know your good times and your bad times? Does he? Can he be trusted to carry you through your good times and your bad times? 100%. Because if he's God, he can. He created you. He gave you life that you have today. He gave you everything that you have, even the opportunity that you have right now, God has given to you and to me. And like uh, the brother said, it was a chance that Mary and Joseph, they were just trying to get along. Uh, They just tried to make it there. 90 miles, he had to leave his business, his carpentry business. Not a rich man by any means. These shepherds, and shepherds are always looked out as outcasts. I guess they could have been. They were, they were, it was a job that sometimes if you couldn't do anything else, you could be a shepherd. But some of the greatest men in Scripture were shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd. Even King David was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. So you look back, and so that, that whole idea of they're just tyrant bad guys is not necessarily there. These men are looking over the Passover lambs, and they were there, and they were the first ones to get the word, and first ones to potentially go to one of these towers and actually where Jesus was laid in a manger. All right, I want you to see this. The shepherds received the good news, but experienced needless fear. How many of us have done that? How many of you ever experienced needless fear? Something you've created over your own self. Anybody ever done that? Like, you get so worked up about it, you're so anxious about it, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, and it never happens. Or, if it does happen, who's in charge of that? Of everything. Who's in charge of it? God. So if we can actually just come to the very place like the angel says, do not be afraid. We get, come to our place in our life where we trust God 100%. So I want you to see this as we finish the scripture. Go back to the scripture with me, if you would. After the, the angels glorify God, verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, they ran, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger, now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told of them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told of them by the shepherds. And by the way, if shepherds were a bunch of bandits, no one would have listened to them. They would have ran away from them thinking they're just bad guys. They knew these guys had credibility. They knew they were actually telling a, a truth because you'll see, verse 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned. What were they doing, church? glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Now, some of us today, if you're not careful, we want to hear from God. We want to see a sign. God, just give me a sign, and I'll believe. Here's your sign right here. The Bible says very clearly his word is that he came. Uh, There's witnesses that he came, and we'll see even as we continue each Sunday. We, We preach about him every Sunday, do we not? We talk about this wonderful, glorious Savior we have. These shepherds, initially, they had needless fear. But I want you to see this. The angel instructed the shepherds not to be afraid and announced that the joy, capital J-O-Y, which was promised from old, had come. The good news was that the Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord, had been born in the city of David because he was of the lineage of David, right? That was a promise that he would come through that lineage, and, and he did. Well, the angel, look, I want you to see this. The angel told the shepherds that they would find this babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a food trough. Did they find that? If you go back and look, it says actually, verse 16, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe 
Where was the babe? Where was Jesus? Lying in that manger, lying in the food trough. They didn't just come. Mary wasn't rocking him. When they walked in, they found a baby wrapped in strips of clothing, and they're used to that because that's what they do to the small lambs. They're used to wrapping up tightly, so we call it papoosing today, do we not? You ever papoosed your babies when you come from the hospital? You see them fold them like a Christmas present? You ever done that? They fold them up, roll them up, tuck them, and the babies are stiff. We still do that very similar thing. And this is what they had done. The angels, was very clear, after the announcement, the brightly lit skies, they exploded with praise from heaven's angelic army. God's angelic army opened up the heavens and it was just praise to glory to God in the highest. That's what they said. And listen, this is key. In your translation, look at your different translations. I put it in the, your notes. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. If God is not well pleased with you, listen, there is no glory in this Christmas story. How can God be pleased with you? What Jesus told us as he became a man in John 3, did he not? He said, listen, told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, how can a man be born again? How can he go back into his mother's womb and come back out and be born again? And Jesus says, I'm trying to tell you a spiritual thing and you won't listen. And Jesus explains to him that your mother gives birth to you the first time and the Spirit of God must give birth to you the second time. Right? It's something that God invites you to, if you will, give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And when you do, when you respond, he in turn says, I will be with you. How long? Forever. To the end of the ages was the promise from the Lord. So make sure that you know that it's not just peace toward all men. It's to men that God is well pleased. Those who have given their heart and life to Jesus Christ. Those that belong to him. Because I want to tell you, if you're not a Christian today, you've never given your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says you're at enmity with God. You're God's public enemy, number one. You are enemy of God. You are of your father. Listen, Jesus said this, the devil. You are not well pleasing to God. So don't think that you can have the peace of Christmas settle on your heart and your life and your family today if you've never given your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, let's see this. The angels went back to heaven. The shepherds knew this was a special God message and went straight to Bethlehem to see this Jesus. The shepherds found Joseph, Mary, and Jesus exactly as the angels foretold. This caused the shepherds to glorify and praise God for all they had heard and all they had seen. Can you only imagine that day, what they, how they experienced that? The word Mary, if your name's Mary or uh, Marie is even a, a takeoff, Miriam, it means wished for child. It can also mean suffering, but the wished for child. Can you imagine whenever uh, Mary's mother, Miriam's mother gave birth, she potentially was the child that she'd always been asking for. Isn't that amazing to think about? So she named her Miriam. Let me encourage you, church and friends today, those who are watching, God's still in the saving business. He didn't come just for the shepherds. He didn't come just for those wise men. He didn't come just while he lived on this earth. He came to live and to die for everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord. The scripture says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Saved. Baptism this morning was a picture of that. Jesus' death on the cross his burial in a borrowed tomb, and his three days later coming out of the grave to live forevermore. He promises this eternal life to anyone and everyone, all people, that if you believe on him, trust him with your full life, you shall be saved and have this eternal life. Then this Christmas season is full of joy, and God is well pleased with you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you give us this hope, this truth. Thank you that, Lord, we... Um, can catch a glimpse of, 
of, of your story through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Father, we in ourselves, we go, well, this is too good to be true sometimes. And Lord, it sounds like it could be, but you're so good and you're so true. Lord, every time we trust you, we just can't help but understand the blessing you pour on our lives. We, know, we love you. We thank you today for our many blessings. And Lord, I pray for my friends, anyone that's here today that's never given their heart life to Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation for them, and that, Father, that they too would understand this love that we have, those that are called upon your name, uh, that have called, and, and Lord, you've rescued and brought us uh, to a love relationship with you. Lord, I pray for them today, that this season would be the season they would give their heart and life to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake, amen.